0: Hi, I'm G- oh, God. Sorry. <laughs> Hello, I'm Gideon Litchfield.
1: And I'm Lauren Good. And this is Have a Nice Future, a show about how fast everything is changing.
0: Each week, we talk to someone who's helping shape our future and ask, "Is this really the future we want?"
1: This week, our guest is Lydiani Jones, CEO of Slack. So,
2: what we have been doing at Slack is giving all these capabilities so people can establish norms. But the tools alone are not going to solve it. Maybe I'll have to come visit you guys at Wired, help with some processes, and share some of our best practices here in Slack.
1: Gideon, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. What would be your ideal return-to-work situation for Wired?
0: Well, I, of course, want everybody in the office five days a week.
1: Oof. Hammer comes down. Just
0: kidding. No, of course okay. not. Even I am not in the office five days a week. And I think after the pandemic, most people would agree the ideal situation is some kind of hybrid.
1: You know who else agrees with you on that? Who? The CEO of Slack. What
0: a surprise. Convenient,
1: huh? Now, Slack is something that we use here every day at Wired, and it's become a pretty important part of how I think about remote work I and mean, how I get everything done and our new hybrid way of working.
0: Honestly, even... Before COVID, I'd completely forgotten how we got anything done without Slack. Every single aspect of work in the newsroom, the the story ideas, the proofreading, the headline writing, each one has its own Slack channel. Uh, But it's also this whole culture, right? We swap jokes and announce personal news and tell each other we're not coming in that day because the dog pooped on the carpet.
1: It's true. We're very human on there. I like to say we're all just awaiting the great slackening where all of our slacks somehow are released to the public and we all get canceled and it's a huge mess and it would be like your diary getting
0: released. Right. And I have Slack groups not just for work, but for my housemates and my friends and folks I went to the conference with that one time. It's, It's all pervasive.
1: And all pervasive is not necessarily a good thing. I think right now we're zooming towards a future where we are online for work, possibly all the time. And it's a little bit scary.
0: So what did you want to know from the CEO of Slack about this future?
1: So Slack is part of a much, much bigger tech company now. It was acquired by Salesforce in 2021. And then last year, its founder, Stuart Butterfield, stepped down as CEO and Lidiani took over.
0: Meanwhile, there have been a lot of layoffs as tech companies have realized they hired too fast during the pandemic. Mm-hmm.
1: And Salesforce and Slack are a part of that. And at the same time, Slack is so central to how many of us do our remote work. So I had a lot of questions for Lidiani about her long-term vision for Slack and how that's going to affect all of us in the future. We're going to get to that in my interview with her right after the break. Hi, Lydiani. Thanks so much for joining me on Have a Nice Future. Thank you so much, Lawrence. We're great to be here and great to connect with you again. It's
2: great to connect with you again, too. Do you feel like we're having a nice future? Well, it's certainly a disruptive future right now uh, with so much happening in the market, right? The market conditions are tough. Employees have different expectations about how they want to get to work, And uh, at the same time, we're all trying to figure out what life post-pandemic looks like. So it is a very disruptive future, but I get really optimistic, actually, that disruption will finally get us to a more evolved, flexible way of working. Uh, So for me, it's very exciting.
1: Is that because you are optimistic by nature or because there's something specific happening right now that makes you optimistic? I am so glad
2: you asked that because I'm not described as an optimistic by nature person, Um, maybe because I'm an engineer. I'm so skeptic, but I'm genuinely excited. You know, I think for a long time, we've been in this way of working. How many times, Lauren, do you feel like you're in a Zoom or some video conferencing tool all day long? And you're like, okay, great. Now, after eight hours, I actually have to work. I actually have to write. And I think we've been in this very structured, very heavy like model of working for decades. And I think now, because of all these disruptions, everybody and in generationally also everybody's expectations, employees' expectations around flexibility are so different that companies have to bring those things together. Flexibility and also freeing people to actually work.
1: I have to say I feel that so keenly as a writer. I mean as and as a podcaster, but as a writer sometimes I get to the end of my workday and I've been on Slack or on Zooms and then I say, okay, now it's time to actually write. And, you know, you have to meter your energy levels and we'll get to that a little bit later on in the conversation, but let's talk about Slack. So we use Slack a lot here at Wired and I would say, especially since the pandemic, it's become pretty vital to our work communications. It really is the modern day water cooler. I was hoping though for this podcast, you could describe Slack for people who haven't used it before and maybe describe it in a way that it hasn't been described before. How I would like for everybody, especially if you're being
2: introduced to Slack, is to really think about productivity. Like Slack is a productivity platform. And so when we think about this broader productivity platform, we think about how do you automate all of these uh, mundane
1: tasks that take so much of our time uh, and connects everything that you do it's interesting that you say that about automation because when I think of Slack, I don't I don't actually think about automating my work all that much. There are Slack bots that people can use, but it's still just it's a lot of people, it's several people typing to use the Slack phrase at once. It's still to me very human centric. Why do you see it as something that automates our work? It's because we think about automation today as an IT process that gets
2: rolled out into us that then we have to react to. And what we're trying to do is get end users to automate their repetitive tasks. Funny enough, someone today, out of the blue, saw me uh, in the office. I was in the office earlier today and said, oh, can I tell you I was a new employee and I got to ask my IT from Slack for a new software and I got it immediately because it was automated. I didn't know it did that. So it's these little pleasant, like things can just be simpler. Um, so our automation is not the traditional way that most people think of automation. It's kind of human-led, empowering the users to facilitate Uh, the way that they do uh, their work.
1: So you just took over as Slack CEO late last year, following a long tenure by founder Stuart Butterfield, who left the company. And prior to this, you were an executive vice president at Salesforce, so you were in the building, so to speak. But before that, you were at Sonos. So Salesforce, Sonos, two very different companies. Why did you transition from a very consumer-focused company to enterprise software?
2: One of the reasons why I came to Salesforce was because during my time at Sonos, Salesforce had a very impactful trajectory into Sonos' success. But when Stuart um, reached out about this job, which I've I've long admired Stuart and obviously a huge fan of Slack, uh, when he reached out, I was like, wow, I love enterprise software and I love consumer experiences, so um, so it's been like totally my dream job to be here because it brings the two things that I love the most. And um, it's been an honor to uh, come in following someone who is just
1: incredible as Stuart is. So when Stuart reached out, was that to bring you into Salesforce or was that to actually talk to you about the CEO job for Slack? Talk to me about the CEO job. And when did he first reach out to you about that? It was uh, late summer, early
2: fall last year. Um, So it it was early on the search. And of course, it was a pretty lengthy search for candidates internally and externally. Uh, But uh, but it was last fall. It was Mm a few months of conversation.
1: There have been reports that there's a dissonance. There has been a dissonance between the two cultures of Salesforce and Slack. It's been reported in a few outlets. I have verified it myself with people who work at both companies, if, I mean, they're one company now, but both entities. How do you, as CEO, manage those cultural differences? Uh, you know, coming
2: from having a few years at Salesforce uh, and now coming to Slack, it's, it's, you start to see the differences in how people work. And, you know, I talked about product, but uh, the way, because I worked at Sonos and I worked at Microsoft, Slack is a lot more like Sonos. It's a highly experimental and there are certain cultural aspects that come with that. The team is a uh, highly like humble, and we always have to learn based on consumer insight. And when you work in a large enterprise company, you're making some bets, and then you're you're going after
1: those bets. So that causes c- just cultural differences. You also became CEO of Slack at a time when the entire tech industry is facing something of a reckoning. There have been layoffs across the industry. Salesforce has not been immune to that. It has laid off or said it's going to lay off 10% of its staff. Slack was affected by this. What was that like for you, being put into the CEO role and then having to face layoffs almost right off the bat?
2: You know, definitely not the way that I would like to start any team. It's to start when there's so much churn and pressure happening. Um, What I have to tell you, though, that's been just a huge testament of this incredible Slack team and the culture that the team has had is how much the team has welcomed me. Uh, even though I'm like, "Okay, I'm changing so much here right after a great beloved founder is leaving, uh but the team is really resilient, so it's been a just a great start despite all the changes, so certainly a tough you know tough couple of months, but so humbling and such a welcoming uh set of people and teams. so it's been very rewarding
1: actually. It's been rewarding to go through that process of layoffs.
2: No, no. Rewarding to get to know the team during a tough time, uh, because I think that's when you really see what people's values are made out of. And during e- even a tough time like this, when we are all really sad for the colleagues that are affected by this, how people are coming together to support our colleagues, but also to support our
1: customers. So that that has been its the silver lining. What do you think comes next in terms of the belt tightening? I heard Mark Benioff, the CEO of Salesforce, say in another podcast and in news articles that maybe some of these folks would be hired back eventually, right? And that maybe there'll be a sort of equilibrium that's established. But what really happens next in terms of tech companies looking at their bottom line, trying to appease Wall Street, and then making changes accordingly?
2: I think a time like this, uh, for especially for tech companies where there's just been a lot of spending, you know, and, and the industry in general, there's a lot of spending, is that it will allow us to be focused on value creation. And I think that's a positive in all of this is that if we really put our energy with the team that we have on creating value to customers, Especially during a time of so much chaos, it's going to create more long-term healthy businesses. If you look at every one of these massive crises, you know of the the last uh, few decades, usually the companies that focus on customer value creation for their customers have a huge and positive upswing when the market gets better. And so, I think that tension is actually a healthy thing for the industry. Uh, definitely not easy, but a healthy thing for helping, helping companies be more grounded on what's really important for their customers. And I think there's been just a lot of loose speculation on all sorts of different efforts. And and I think this is going to be a good grounding for the industry, to be honest with you.
1: What does that actually mean to you? Like, what, what is value creation? When people say that, when you're talking about the tensions that exist right now, and you're saying the companies that focus on value creation end up coming out winners in the long run, what does that actually mean or look like?
2: Well, for me, uh, certainly is what is more important to our customers. And what I, you know, I, I have seen in general, uh, in general, uh, prior to economic crisis, is there is a lot, a lot of products without a purpose um, of or a problem that they're really trying to solve for a customer. So uh, I think for us here at Slack has been, our, what are we helping our customers with? And what are the you know, key capabilities that's going to help them succeed the fastest? Uh, so being really grounded on, is the product and the service or you know, the capability of delivering really going to help solve a meaningful problem? I think that kind of discipline was a little bit lost, uh, to be honest, in the industry. So I'm really excited to just like, focus on uh, what's going to be the most valuable.
1: What would you say is the goal you are ultimately trying to advance with Slack right now?
2: Well, I think there's two big ones. One is um, we have this productivity platform. So our goal really is to help more companies uh, gain productivity gains so that can really bring their entire stack to Slack. The second one is deeply integrating to Salesforce uh, because it will give us the ability to be more um, tailored for different types of users. So the end goal of Slack is Slack Force. (laughs) <laughs> no, I would say the other way around. I would say the goal of Slack is that um, everybody slack? is sales Slack. I would say it's a little bit more that way um, because end users will tell me about Slack. They don't talk about. I'm really excited to jump into,
1: um, lighting. CRMs. Yeah. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> um, let's talk about remote work. What is the future of remote work in your mind? And and we should set the scene a little bit here. You're dialing in from Boston, where you're based. I said something to your team about how you're a remote CEO, and they they quickly corrected me and said, no, 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 Lidiani is out on the West Coast a lot, and she's traveling about, and she's meeting with customers. Um, so you're, you know, you're very involved, clearly. But you are in Boston, working for a California-based company. Uh, Salesforce has not mandated that everyone return to the office, but I believe Benioff has started to say that you know certain teams should be in the office certain a certain number of days per week. That's starting to happen a little bit more across the industry. W- like, what does our post-pandemic work world look like, actually?
2: I think there's such a reckoning right now because um, we did a survey future our future forum did a survey, and two thirds of employees want flexibility. that They need to be not only where they work but also when they do their jobs. I think that. Companies will be more successful in the long haul if they embrace flexibility as a way to also innovate and advance their business and, you know, whatever it is that they're going after. So the future of work, in my opinion, is flexible, for sure. I love that you called out that I'm in Boston uh, because, quite frankly, our team is so distributed now. For our sales teams, we are asking for people to meet customers more where they are. So some customers do want to meet in person for, for enabling learning product, learning how to work with other technologies, like we're doing a lot of that in person. So uh, depends on the job for, Product and engineering, we are giving teams the flexibility to build team agreements. So what we have found is it's much better if the team decides how they want to
1: work and how do we be inclusive.
2: And that's been more effective.
1: This hybrid model you're talking about is really a total revolution of how we all go to work. And it makes me think a lot about the implications for the future. I mean, I think about people who are just starting out in their careers and how they might not be able to establish important social connections, that really get solidified when you're face-to-face. But then on, on a societal level, I think about how this is going to affect cities. We just had a conversation with the mayor of San Francisco for this podcast, and we asked about the various ways the pandemic really has changed the face of our downtown. So when you think about the future with this hybrid work model, how do you think it's going to play out? I think there's two folds into that
2: comment you made. The first is, um, you know, I met my husband at work. Like, you know, a lot of social... Which job was that? (laughs) That was in Seattle at Microsoft. Uh, We didn't work together, uh, but we had mutual friends. But, you know, your early in career network comes from the people that you meet. A lot of the close, close friends that I have came out of those first few years. And so we actually have seen that here at Slack and Salesforce at large is that the population that's struggling, not struggling from performance, but struggling to be happy (laughs) are the people that are newer in career because they don't have a more organic and natural way. To cities, that's a much more complicated conversation because uh, even if you look at the population of the United States over the last couple of years there's been massive movements of some states are losing people, other states are gaining people because now with hybrid options and, you know, there's tightening of that across different industries now, but it's still highly flexible by and large. It gives people the ability to go live in places where cost of living is not as high or, you know, quality of life can be a little bit better. So I think that's going to also raise the bar. I think that, for companies um, and for government officials, uh, increase a responsibility for how we create a
1: more uh, inclusive environment in, in urban cities, particularly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I tend to agree with you that the future of office work is is somewhat hybrid, at least for the foreseeable future. I don't know about the long-term future, but I have a couple of questions about what that means. When I asked you earlier to define Slack for someone who hadn't really used Slack before, one of the words you said was productivity. And productivity, it's a like a little bit of a dirty word these days, right? Because we're supposed to be reevaluating our relationship to work. And um, I don't want to make this the customer complaint line, but just yesterday in Slack, I put up my sick emoji. I really, I really needed a day. I wasn't feeling well. It just, it was just completely ignored. The wall between work and personal is so porous now uh, because of the pandemic, because of these remote work tools. What do you think is the future of this always online culture? The thing with Slack
2: um, is that Slack is extremely powerful and flexible. So it can be very much a reflection of how your team's culture gets developed. So one of the key things we've been talking to a lot of, like, I've had this conversation more than I would have expected in two months, is how to help your organization properly express culture in the platform itself. It is top of mind, though, Lauren, like, um, believe it or not, like, have huge focus uh, for a lot of leaders has been, how do we help our employees also like be healthy? Because the exhaustion that everybody's feeling is real. So we're really putting a lot of energy and helping companies implement Slack uh, to truly be a productive platform and, and change the narrative of productivity as like a positive thing. But then to free, you know, that productivity free you to be your best self, and then you can actually enjoy your life as well. So we believe, we really, I certainly personally believe that you have to have a
1: space to uh, recharge and recalibrate your mind. Do software tools around that work? Does Grayscale work? Does, you know, making the away message on Slack or the emoji bigger, like, can we actually use software to fix what is a problem? With our relationship to software? So I think it's both
2: tool and the norms that you want to establish in your company. And so I think the processes and the cultural tones have to be set right for people to feel like they have the permission to not be on their computer all the time. And then the tools is an augmentation of that, right? It's a helping express that, mm-hmm. that it's okay. Uh, so what we have been doing at Slack is, giving uh, all these capabilities so people can establish those norms. But the tools alone are not going to solve it. You know, like you said, everybody ignored your sick emoji. That's not a great sign. Maybe I'll have to come visit you guys at Wired, help with some processes and share
1: some of our best practices here in Slack.
2: We'll be happy to do that. Yes, you're going to (laughs) help.
1: If the CEO of Slack would like to come help us troubleshoot Slack, I'm pretty sure we're not going to say no to that. (laughs) Uh, So yes, but I hear what you're saying and that it has to be, a cultural tone has to be set, and then software has to, I guess, help implement that or augment it. It does feel a little unnatural and perhaps unhealthy to rely on the same software tools for fixes that are helping to create the problems in the first place. Lidiani, thank you so much for taking the time to join me on Have a Nice Future, and I hope you have a very nice future. You too, Lauren. It's wonderful to be here. So, Gideon, is this the future you want?
0: You mean a future on Slack, my whole life, your
1: entire life? <laughs> Slack or Zoom, take your pick.
0: I mean, do we have a choice? Or
1: we do? We can choose Teams instead
0: <laughs> or WebEx. <laughs> what I mean is, I guess the question is, can you see us going back to a world in which we're doing it less, where it's more compartmentalized somehow?
1: No, no, And, and, that, it, that's, and I Are don't. you okay with that? No, I'm not. I think what Lidiani said about how a workplace is somewhat responsible for establishing culture around being offline, you know, being really offline when you're offline. I think some of that is is valid. But I also think that these tools are the thing that have made that wall between work and life so porous that make it impossible for us to truly sign off. I just think that we're living so, like ever since the pandemic, we're just living so much of our lives online. I can't imagine us ever moving backwards without making a major conscientious effort to make that the case.
0: Do you believe tech companies, when they say that they can design tools in such a way that we'll use them more consciously, more conscientiously? Or is it really about the culture that we establish at the company of how much we use the tool or not?
1: Can they design them to be that way? Sure. Will they? No. I mean, we'll just look at what Lidiani said about the future of Slack being basically more absorbed into Salesforce's software suite. They're competing with the likes of Microsoft Teams over at Slack, right, which has many, many millions of more users than Slack does. And part of the reason why Teams is so successful is because it's baked into Microsoft's gigantic office suite. These companies will do anything I think they can to get us to use more and more and more of their... Software, So, sure, they might put some sliding tools in place or, you know, change the design of a status icon or give you, you know, screen time analytics or whatever it is so that you can measure your your activities. But ultimately, they're not incentivized to actually have
0: you use their software less. Lydiani talked about Slack as being about productivity. Do you agree?
1: I think with Slack, it's a very fine line between actually using it for productivity and LARPing your job. (laughs) 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 <laughs> 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 Which is not, I cannot take credit for coming up with that phrase. Well, it means live action role playing. And right. it's, you know, I work. was not the first person to use it to apply to the workplace. But yeah, it's very easy to get sucked into Slack, the various channels that you talked about earlier, and feel like you're doing your job, but actually you are pretending to do your job or you've convinced yourself you're doing your job. One thing I thought was interesting about what Lidiani said related to productivity, but she used the word automate. Was that I got the sense that there is going to be a lot more AI in Slack and that that's going to be part of the big picture automation aspect of it. Like I mean,
0: that's going to write your Slack messages for yeah, you kind of. Yeah, AI? absolutely.
1: I mean, they've already talked about integrating chat GPT so that you would be able to like ask GPT something in Slack and it would spit out a response to you. And that's totally automated. Now is that that much different from the Slack bots that you can currently use. Are you some saying that next argue. time I
0: Slack you, Lauren, it's going to be ChatGPT that's answering, to, pretending yes, to be I'm you? I'm going to be
1: taking a nap. I'm going to finally be taking some time away from the screens, and it's going to be my ChatGPT bot responding to you.
0: You know, maybe that could actually work. Maybe I could <laughs> even get behind that. I'll just want to make sure my ChatGPT bot is answering your ChatGPT. Well, then they can just talk to each other, and they we can go off and do journalism.
1: Can you imagine the magazine they're going to put out? <laughs> Can you imagine working without Slack?
0: I literally cannot imagine working without Slack or without some kind of synchronous chat. I don't remember how I got things done before. I don't remember how I communicated with people before. It must have it must have happened. But
1: You've been in <laughs> it, newsrooms it, 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 for a little while. I,
0: I almost feel mm-hmm. like Slack is like that kind of zombie fungus that takes over your brain and just changes your perception of the world because I literally cannot understand how how it was before. And that's very disturbing.
1: <laughs> Does Mark Benioff know that he spent twenty-eight billion dollars on cordyceps of software? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so how do you personally handle that in our new possibly permanent hybrid work world where we are always online, where actually our home spaces are, in many ways, our workspaces. You are traveling around a lot as the editor-in-chief of Wired. You're still always connected. You can't even get on a plane without being connected now. How do you put up those boundaries?
0: Paradoxically, I think the fact that this communication is so easy now on our phones is also what makes it easy to stop. Like, You have the phone. It's a physical object. You turn it off or you put it in your bag or you say, I'm just not going to look at this device after 10 p.m. or whatever. And it it can be hard to discipline yourself around that, but easy in the sense that it really is just one device and you you can ignore all of it if you want to.
1: So you're seeing that as the portal to this entire world, and provided that you have a little bit of self-control over the portal in your palm, yes. then you're not checking 17 different apps. Exactly. And you can actually pause.
0: Yes, but that is, that's what makes it simple, because there are 17 different apps, but only one phone.
1: But then do you like wake up in the morning, and it's 6 in the morning, and you've gotten a blissful eight hours of sleep, and there's an email from Anna Wintour addressed to you, and you're like, wow, I really should not have put my phone down for this long.
0: Uh, no, it's more like I really should not have picked up my phone just now. I should have waited and gotten hand breakfast and some coffee and done some exercise and then picked up the phone. And Anna Wintour can wait. That Sorry, is, Anna.
1: Wow. You heard it here first. <laughs> Dare I say that is remarkably healthy, not specifically to your boss, but to any boss.
0: That would be the ideal. I'm not saying that that is what I actually achieve every morning, but mm-hmm. that is what I aspire to do. But I do think what Lidiani said is very important about establishing culture on Slack now you can schedule messages to not be sent until the next morning but i think you also just have to establish a workplace culture that says if you get a slack from me outside your normal working hours i don't expect you to respond
1: isn't that in some way the ultimate form of tech solutionism though that oh look they've added this feature where you can schedule something they're fixing the problem that all of this software helped create
0: right but that's why i'm saying that it also has to be a matter of culture like you can you can add, you can have the schedule message button but i think you also should just establish the expectation that if somebody sends you a message outside working hours, then they shouldn't expect a response unless they absolutely need one. And if they absolutely need one, that's what phone calling is for.
1: I think it all goes back to the away message. I think we have to return to the days of AOL instant messenger away messages.
0: Which you can have on Slack, though, can't you? Can't, you? But
1: no one pays attention to them. Everyone, I talked about this with Lidiani. It was like the customer complaint line. I was like, and by the way, you know, let me tell you this thing that happened in Slack. And even when I silenced notifications on one device, I could hear like the notification sound from Slack. I'm like coming through my iPad
0: across but, the room. But were you responding to these messages?
1: I was. So, I was. And I even hopped on a Zoom with you and another editor that day.
0: So I feel like, I feel like you're blaming the software. I mean, yes, the mm. sick emoji exists to signal that you're sick, but you're also, I think, enabling other people's behavior if if you respond to it. In other words, if you if you put up the sick emoji and other people message you, maybe they're interpreting the sick emoji to mean, okay, I can message Lauren, but I don't expect a response from her. And if you do respond, then you're the one actually who's breaking the compact rather than them.
1: That's probably true. But it's hard to tell sometimes just from like that constant notification sound, what is actually this is from Gideon and this is urgent. Versus, this is uh, someone who's sending me a, a cat photo in Cat Chat.
0: But if you play into the always-on availability mm-hmm. that Slack makes possible, then I think you have to actually take your own responsibility for being in that dynamic.
1: I think you're. I think you're victim blaming.
0: I'm going victim blaming. <laughs> I think you're software blaming.
1: <laughs> Gideon, I hope you have a nice future.
0: I hope we all do with Slack or without it.
1: That's our show for today. Thanks for listening. Have a Nice Future is hosted by me, Lauren Good.
0: And me, Gideon Litchfield.
1: If you like the show, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts and follow us to hear more episodes.
0: And we want to hear from you too. Email us at nicefuturewired.com. At Tell us what you're worried about, what excites you, a question you have about the future, and we'll ask our guests.
1: Have a Nice Future is a production of Condé Nast Entertainment. Danielle Hewitt and Lena Richards from Prologue Projects produce the show.
0: See you back here next Wednesday. And until then, have a nice future.